everyone, and welcome to another episode of Offsides, your one-stop shop for everything NFL and NHL. Uh, Super Bowl right around the corner. We'll dive into that in a, in a minute here. But just giving a quick shout-out, last night, NFL Honors took place, found out the season award winners, Coach of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. Just giving a quick shout-out to our boy, A-Rod, back-to-back MVPs, fourth MVP of his career, uh, very well deserved. and uh, always got to shout out our green and gold. I guess one just quick question. Do you think that he gets five? I think that I, there's no indication that he wouldn't. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, to be the first, like there's only been a couple ever that ever go back to back. Nobody's ever done a three P of MVPs. I mean, if he and stays the in Green, the only one with five. Yeah, I think I think in Green, if he stays in Green Bay, that sets him up the best. Because if he goes to another team, chances are he's going to make sure that that team has other star players, so that he's not like I mean, like in Green Bay, he, he they finally have some guys on defense that are good. They got a good backfield. You got Devontae Adams, where it's not all on his shoulders, even though the media and ultimately it is because if he didn't play for the Packers they'd be a different team, but he's not going to go to a team where they're a bunch of nobodies, super young team to where then, yeah, he could, he could be MVP because people realize, Oh shit, this team was six and 11 last year. And now they're 12 and five and they made it to their conference championship. Yeah. He's MVP because now he's on that team, but also he doesn't want, I'm sure he doesn't want to have to put in that, to, that rebuild, which is a big thing that he said, at the beginning of the offseason right away, hey, I want to be a part of a rebuild. Hinting that towards Green Bay, saying don't get rid of a bunch of guys. And also, if you're a team in rebuild mode, don't don't call because I'm not listening kind of thing. <laughs> or if you do get rid of a bunch of guys, make sure you're bringing in a bunch of vets. Yeah, 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 like the Tom Brady effect. Heads to Tampa, not a whole lot going on there, but brings in enough guys. All vets. Yeah. All vets. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it'd be cool to see him get number five. Um, obviously, he hasn't. We're still, I mean, still probably two weeks with, away. Yeah. yeah, a month tops before we know what he's doing for sure. But yeah, awesome to see him get his fourth and love the hair. <laughs> Majestic. <laughs> yeah, he looked like a porn star. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, then uh, jumping into the big game that wraps up the 2021-22 NFL season, Super Bowl 56, Rams-Bengals. Um, I guess we can kind of drop some score predictions right at the end, but just kind of what are you, some of your key points you're going to be looking at for this game, and then ultimately who you think is going to be the Super Bowl 56 winner? I just have I have three three things to watch in this game. Two are on the Rams side. One, how effective is that defensive line only rushing four? Can they get there? Can they draw the pressure with the four mm-hmm. guys not having to bring extra? As well as Jalen Ramsey, does he guard Jamar Chase the entire game? Or does he lock down somebody else and they double him instead? That'll be an interesting thing to watch. Second thing for the Rams, Matt Stafford. How many turnovers does he have? If he plays a flawless game, I don't feel like there's going to be any hiccups for the Rams in this game. However, if he does struggle, which I would assume that he would have some at least little bit of struggle, um, 
since it is his first Super Bowl, that the Bengals will be in this game if he struggles. And the last thing, this kind of goes both ways. Usually in a Super Bowl, there's really about two swings of momentum. Can the Bengals capitalize when the momentum is theirs to make a huge impact in this game? If they let their momentum go too quick and it gets back in the Rams' hands, this could be an easy one for Los Angeles. Yeah, and I mean, um, obviously taking kind of the odds and like all that into consideration, the Rams are currently four-point favorites. I thought Um, it lowered to three. ESPN showing four right now. Okay. Because I know it was four and a half originally, and then I saw three must be up back up to four. Then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the quarterback battle is, I mean, always a point of emphasis in any Super Bowl, any game, really. It's how the guy under center performs is going to determine a team's game season, like all, all that. As you mentioned for this game, it seems like Joe Burrow is kind of rolled with the underdog. We're not supposed to be here. Let's just play and have fun role. And it's really worked out for them. He's balled out, very minimal errors. Um, that connection between him and Chase seems like it's getting better and better as the season goes on here. Um, kind of one thing on the Bengals side, you mentioned as far as the uh, play of Stafford if he can avoid turnovers and then if those turnovers lead to points can be a trouble for the Rams on the Bengals side an issue that they dealt with against the Titans which ended up n- not mattering in the end they give up nine sacks to the Titans which was obviously a, a big a big concern uh, coming into this game against the pass rush of the Rams I guess kind of I mean an odds perspective of it. What's kind of an over under of if the Bengals stay under X amount of sacks, they have the best chance to win the game. If they give up more than this many sacks, they're in trouble. Nine. That many you think? Yeah, we already know that he can do it from nine. So I'm going to put that number at nine and say he could do it again. There's not a reason telling me that he can't. Yeah. See, I think my number is more like five if they give up more than five sacks because the Titans were not firing on all cylinders on every part of the field in that game. Derrick Henry what didn't come back in dominant fashion. Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill had three picks to where those nine sacks, yeah, they won the game, despite the nine sacks, but had Tan- had Derrick Henry come back 100%, Tannehill not may- maybe thrown one less interception or two less interceptions, those nine sacks would have been more of a difference maker to where the Rams I like are more complete. And so long as Stafford doesn't have a three-interception game, they don't abandon the run game and completely depend on him to where I think that that mark is closer to like four, five, six sack range of if you can stay under that terrific but if you end up getting over that over that five mark then because more than five sacks 
I mean, a, a drive is typically three plays. If you don't get to the, the, the sticks in three plays, you're punting. So five sacks means basically almost two of your drives are shot. If you combine those five sacks and you're unable to get them back. So I think that five, like, well, I'll just say six sacks because that's a sack on, let's say first, second, third down two times in a row, that'd be six sacks. That's two drives gone. If the Bengals basically come up, like have three and outs more than three times in this game or two times, if, if those six ha sacks happen, I think that that is a difference maker on the other side that hurts the Bengals. As we were talking about Stafford, if he has too many, like more than one interception, it could hurt them. If they have more than two, three and outs in this game, I think the Bengals fall too far behind just because of the consistency of the Rams. So you don't think that there's no way if they fall behind like they did the Kansas City that they can come back? Well, I'm not saying there's no shot, but... Because they had three, three and outs in the first half. Yeah, but also Kansas City didn't play... Like, that's what I'm saying. The Rams, so long as they stay consistent, so long as Stafford doesn't start throwing throwing picks. I just go back to the end of the Tampa game where they had the three-possession lead and watch that dwindle away. Yeah. Some of that was just bad ball security, though. It wasn't really as much as... Yeah, the defense has got to make plays when yeah. you're down. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously they did. They come back from an eighteen-point deficit once already. I'm not gonna like say that it's not possible. But at the biggest game on the biggest stage, there's only been a couple times it's happened, and I mean, the goat has one of them. Which it, it comes to a point where one more thing can't go wrong, and eighteen things gotta go right consecutively to get get that game back within reach. Um, I just feel the Bengals are never out of it because they're a true team and they believe there's like no quit at all yeah. in that team. Yeah. But like, I mean, for this game, I see it being, I mean, it could be a higher scoring. If, if Stafford gets rolling, if Burrow gets rolling, this could be a 30 something like both teams in the thirties, one team in the forties kind of thing. That's my prediction. If we're going to get there a 34, 31 since he, Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think that, I mean, as much as the defense is going to step up, they're going to get stops, turnovers, could see a defensive score in this game. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's if it gets to a higher scoring battle like that, that's where I'm saying, like, the on Stafford's side, one or, more than one interception could hurt them because those are empty drives where you're not getting points. On the Bengals' side, three and outs as a result of giving up too many sacks is kind of equivalent to an interception um, as far as just running the ball or running three plays and giving the ball away. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's, I mean, aside from the points you kind of mentioned, that's really the only thing as far as to pay attention, like that, um, it's going to be a big factor in this game. Obviously, the quarterback play, as we talked about, Stafford, and then on Burrow's side, the sacks. Can he stay under that five number is kind of that number I'm looking at. 
as far as a prediction for myself, <clears throat> I'm going to say 35-30 Rams. If the Bengals win, I think it's going to be on the leg of Evan McPherson. I don't think it's going to I be. Got, a, I got him hitting the game winner at the end. I don't think it's going to be uh, uh, Burrow makes or gets the ball back under two minutes, has to go the length of the field with no timeouts kind of thing. Not saying that that can't happen. They don't have the ability to. I just don't see that. Like, if that does happen, I, I could see the Rams standing up and getting the job done defensively to not allow that to happen. Um, but yeah, if the Bengals do win, I see it being on a field goal within the, under the two minute warning. And then their defense does enough, maybe force forces Stafford's first pick of the game when they're trying to go down on a game winning drive, who knows, but yeah, it should be, it's, I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, despite the Rams defense and how good they are. I see the Bengals being able to drop at least four touchdowns on them in this game. Agreed. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, not a whole lot other to talk about in the NFL. Uh, again, NFL honors was last night, free agency is going on. So once the Super Bowl wraps up, we'll find out who's going where, um, I mean, our boy A-Rod, we mentioned him in the beginning, kind of the world is hanging in the balance, the sports world's hanging in the balance as to what he's going to do for next season. So uh, once the Super Bowl is done, that's kind of where our our content and our heads are going to be uh, for the off season. So. Moving over to the NHL here then, um, one of the trending things this season has been the Arizona Coyotes. They owe the city of Glendale millions of dollars. They're behind on their venue. The city didn't re-sign them to come back. So Coyotes took the initiative. They signed a multi-year deal to move into ASU's new facility, which they're actually building. That's going to be done this summer. Um, it's going to be a 5,000 seat arena. So considerably smaller than the arena they're currently in, but should make for a fun college atmosphere where it's completely packed every single game. And then as far as their future, they built, they put in two builds of land in Tempe in the Tempe area to get themselves a new arena. So with them putting in those bids for land, do you think that this means that they're for sure staying in Arizona or do you think that a full relocation for them to another city, another state is still on the table? I don't think relocation at this point is an option, especially as the NHL owns the Arizona Coyotes because of their issues that they've had in the past as far as where they're playing, now where they're playing. Um, yeah, they had to claim bankruptcy and the NHL had to buy them. Otherwise, their franchise would have been gone. And just going off of what Gary Bettman, the current president of the league, um, 
is that there's no issue here. We're working on building them their own little rink, getting everything done, moving them out of the city that they're currently in as it's just not working out with the city for whatever reason. Um, I guess there will be a pay, like a check being sent soon from the NHL to cover all those missed payments. But yeah, it seems like they're just going to cut their ties and start fresh somewhere else in Arizona. Somewhere not in, like not way outside of a city when you, like they said that they were the Phoenix Coyotes and they're fucking like an hour and a half outside of Phoenix. It's just like people aren't driving that far to go watch the Coyotes, especially when they stink. Yeah. So this is a good move. This is a good move for the Coyotes. Yeah, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Um, you can only get knocked down so many times before you just submit and accept your accept your fate and, and restart. And I think kind of as far as building a, a good atmosphere again, going to a small arena, yeah, there might be money that's lost as far as not selling as many tickets, whatever it might be, but you're – building a new I should say building a new fan base and I mean and I'm sure in some ways because students that go to ASU are now going to start going to Coyote games because it's like hell yeah we got an NHL team playing on our campus let's go watch them kind of thing and Coyotes but, guys are probably going to be crushing ASU students yeah <laughs> like and no NHL player is going to say no I don't want to play at a college when all these kids are like 21, 22, 23 years old and they're millionaires mm-hmm. like Arizona State is the spot yeah yeah I mean it's a cool move um, yeah but I agree with you I don't think relocation makes this, makes sense uh, especially since as you mentioned the NHL is kind of in control of what they can and can't do at this point this is kind of their um, go do this for a couple of years. And if you can kind of build back up to a relevant team, start filling the arena again, then maybe somebody's interested in buying the Coyotes off the NHL. And then at that point, then they can relocate if they want to, or build them arena elsewhere, whatever that might be. But yeah, this definitely seems like the best move for them for the time being, just to kind of get their head back straight. Yeah, you got to restart, regrow your fan base again, like you said. You already do have a fan base now that you're shrinking the size of the stadium. You're going to get all the diehards there every single night, and hopefully that it is a packed house. I do kind of feel bad that Arizona State made them have to build their own rink, though. They're not allowed to use the same, like, workout facilities, none of that, because it's against NCAA rules. Oh, That's fucked weird. up. Spin Chicklets was talking about it the other day on how, like, yeah, well, what it's about cool the NFL, and everything. Because I, I don't know. The ba- the I don't know were, if the NFL is the same as the Because the Bengals have been using University of Cincinnati's indoor facility to practice. Yeah, their field. I don't know if they're using their workout equipment. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the Bengals have their own workout facility. Because yeah. that's, that's what they're talking, why they had to put in for the parcels of land is to build them their own locker room, build them all their own workout equipment, everything, because the NCAA said, no, you cannot, we cannot be a part, like, you're a professional team, for Christ's sakes, fucking have your own shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
That's crazy. Yeah, but good for the Coyotes, though. They've gotten a couple wins lately, too. Like, fuck yeah, good news. And then my last thing here, Boston, currently on the end of losing two games straight. Um, They will be continuously without Brad Marchant for another five games due to his suspension. Um, Patrice Bergeron currently out as well with injury. No timetable yet for... I guess they are saying day to day with a head injury, but a head injury, who knows how many days that's going to be. Um, also, they just, the news on the other podcast the other day, Tukarask resigning, stepping away. Um, do you think this team is in trouble now that they've lost two games in a row? Um, kind of are trending the wrong direction as the rest of the division is trending up. Do you, do you see them in potential trouble of not making the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, they're in that fourth spot. Uh, again, they're kind of on an island right now in the Atlantic. 13 points back, eight points ahead. So they're, like, don't have to worry about anybody catching them, like, in a game or two, but yet they're still – a couple games behind as far as um, trying to catch up and Toronto has a game in pocket too. So that, that lead could grow to 10 at some yeah. point here. Cause currently they're the second wild card team trailing the capitals by six points who are the first wild card team. Yeah. And then, I mean, looking after that, so then the next two wild card teams to be competing, competing with blue jackets who have, three less points in the same amount of games played. And then the Red Wings who have three more games played. And as, as mentioned, they're eight points behind. And the um, Islanders. They have yeah, nine I, games to yeah. make it, catch the Metro. That's Honestly. That's out there. Yeah. <laughs> like if it was my Flyers, I'd be saying they're not out of it yet. Yeah. Like if they had that many games left to play, but Yeah. I think, I mean, as it sits right now, I'm not too concerned for Boston just because, again, they have that second wild card spot locked up with a comfortable lead and either equal or less games played than the teams that would be trying to take that spot from them. Uh, as, I mean, you, you mentioned the Islanders. It's funny that you mentioned that. That's the team kind of looking at these standings that would be the team to come steal that wild card spot away. I don't think that the Islanders um, have a shot of taking a top three spot, but with the way the Caps have been playing um, and the Islanders themselves, six and four in their last 10. So they're at least on the winning side of hockey uh, lately. Um, as they make up games and kind of, if that, if that inch is closer and closer to Boston's mark, then I'd be more concerned, but I mean, if they can turn around and start winning games, they're in control of their own destiny. But, yeah, if they leave that door wide open, Detroit can still go on a run. Yeah, eight points is, an, an, like, four games. but and, and they have three more games played. But, I mean, anything can happen. But, yeah, for the time being, I'd say at least till the end of this month, maybe in the first week or two of March, then – then kind of re-looking at the standings. Okay, where's Boston at? How have they been doing? Are the Islanders on a roll? Did Detroit make a run? 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Marshan being out, uh, I think it was, what was it? The, I can't remember what the number was, but he passed somebody for having the most individual suspensions in a career in NHL history with his last suspension. I don't know how, what number that was, but he got six games. And he missed last night's when they got smoked six rip. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, Tuka Rask, even though that wasn't like a, oh, he's been standing on his head in the net and all of a sudden he's gone kind of thing. Because as we talked talked about last episode, he kind of left on a, a poor note. But nonetheless, losing guys at this point of the season usually isn't good. <laughs> whether it's suspension, retirement, injury, whatever it might be. Especially Um, when he's a Hall of Fame goaltender. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if somebody was right on their heels, I'd be more concerned. But as for the time being, like I said, at least for the next couple weeks, I'd say Boston, they're in control of their own destiny. If they can keep start winning games again, they're just fine. Yeah, I see this team – hitting a little bit of trouble right now being outscored 18 to six in their last four games um getting their only win against the kraken um the first of the month barely beating them getting a late goal in that game but without marshawn and bergeron the two guys that really make that team go they're hurting they they're really hurting to find goal scoring to find the extra momentum as marshawn is the energy guy He's the guy that does all the little antics to fucking get everybody fired up. And clearly he's not scared of anything, which I mean, props to him. But without those two guys, without your captain, your assistant captain, leaving it all up to Pasta, Pasternak to be able to carry a team like that. I don't think he's built in the division that they're in the division they play in. One guy can't get it done. Where if they were the central, it might be a little bit different, like the abs. Yeah. Like a couple guys can get it done in the central division where Metro's too deep. There's just too many teams. And yeah, like you said, by the end of the month, that, that should be a good indication. Cause they really only have two easy games against the senators from now until March 3rd. So let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple teams that are kind of on that cusp. I know we, uh, the Stars, we talked about them last week as far as if they can make a run. The, uh, they just beat the Bruins last week, six to one. And then the Oilers, too, kind of, uh, on their slide where it seemed like they go get Evander Kane, they make a couple moves, they, uh, they won that one they won one game to break their streak and then they go back on a losing streak right away it's like even if they do even if they do make it i feel like it's just not realistic for them to make a run calgary though returning to where they started the year on the top of the pacific running away with the division they're only three points behind vegas with four games in hand they've been dominating as of late yeah, that'll be, that, that's kind of an interesting thing, too, as far as if Vegas can hold on long enough until um, they can get Eichel and uh, who else? Uh, uh, Marcia, Marcia, so isn't he out as well right now? 
or not Marsha so Petrangelo, one of those other guys is out right now. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. Um, or Stone. No, not Stone. Yeah, Eichel and somebody else is kind of like, oh, shit, Vegas is on top of the Pacific, and they're without these guys right now? It's Stone. Oh, it is Stone. Okay. Because mm-hmm. now, with Eichel being ready to play, they ha- if they put him in the lineup, they activate his salary cap. So they're going to have to structure some shit around with their team in order to make room. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cause we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with how, who did they get rid of? What kind of moves did they make to. To get him into him? the lineup. Yep. Yeah. Cause what they got rid of, I guess, didn't even really do anything. Hmm. Getting rid of tuck and the picks. To Buffalo. It would definitely be interesting because Vegas, I mean, 5-3-2 and two in their last 10. And then, as you mentioned, Calgary's rolling 8-2, and two, five win streak. Um, and they beat good teams too, Calgary. Mm-hmm. And as far as them, kind of where they're, like you said, they have four games in pocket and they're only three points back. Behind them, they have three games less played than the Knights, four games less than the Ducks, and they're a point ahead of both of them. Still super tight because, I mean – yeah, Calgary has games to make up, but if they lose the games that they're making up, then it keeps this division super tight. But so long as they keep playing hockey the way they are, um, yeah, I mean, by the end of the month, I would definitely say that Calgary gets back on the top of the Pacific, as you said, where they started at the beginning of the season. And then just for the Vegas situation, they currently have $5.7 million available in long-term injury salary. Eichel is going to cost $10 million to be activated. So they need to clear $4.3 million in cap in order to, to free up room for him. So they're either going to have to trade that or cut that from somebody's salary and add that to the long-term injury reserve. Hmm. That's a big chunk of, ch- a chunk of cash. I mean, Especially that's people are going to have to say, ah, no, I'll, I'll give it away. Yeah. Yeah, there's two guys. William center William Carlson, he's about five. He's five point nine million, and then Evgeny Dadonov, a younger guy that they have signed through twenty through next season, he's only worth five million. So those are two guys right there that you could just say, okay, sorry, but we're getting Jack Eichel. Mm-hmm. Or instead of getting rid of both of them, you ask them to cut their salary back. <laughs> if you have them both cut their salary in half for the one season. But then Eichel's going to have to be taking one of their spots anyway. Oh, like that's coming true. into the lineup, he'll uh, be yeah. taking their spot anyway. So it's like you might as well just get rid of them. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. Get rid of them for some picks, free up some cap. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to have to do. <laughs> Almost, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun the <clears throat> the off ice or just I mean off the field, off the court gymnastics that these teams have to go through to acquire guys they need, keep guys that they want to keep long term. Um, I mean, yeah, Vegas definitely definitely needs some kind of change though because they've been slipping a little bit as far as 
kind of when they made their search to the top of the Pacific and they had a couple games in pocket of a lead. Now, I mean, between them and the Ducks in the fourth spot, that's only a four-point difference. So two games, so less half a week of, of bad hockey and you're dropping to the middle of the division or drop or going from the middle of the division to the top of the division. Um, and yeah. Vegas knows Calgary's legit too, as Calgary just pounded them six, nothing last week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's fun to see these close battles. I mean, in the Metro, you got same thing, four teams within six points, um, top of the Atlantic, the top three teams are within six points. The central is kind of the one division where things are, I wouldn't say locked with it. Yeah. I wouldn't say like locked up, but you could say locked up as they have games in pocket. The only team is wild to have three games in pocket, but even if they win that at six points, they're still back. They're still back five, six, six down. Yeah. But yeah. And the Avalanche, I feel like, was the only expected runaway winner of a division this year at all. Like, I feel yeah. like all these other – like, look at the Pacific Division. Minus the Kraken, there's an 11 points differential from the whole division. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Like, that means there's good hockey being played in that division. Mm-hmm. Like, I shouldn't say good hockey is being played in that division. That means all the teams in the Pacific are about the same talent-wise. Yeah, nobody's nobody's. No, no team has a superstar team in the Pacific. Yeah, everybody's beating everybody kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be fun coming down the stretch here as far as teams kind of – Preparing for next season, realizing, all right, we can't make it at this point. And then as we started off talking about with Boston, kind of on that bubble right now, they're in, but pending the next couple of weeks, it could be on the outside looking in. Yeah. And like you said, how it's time for teams to start looking forward to next season. I know my team, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, um, could be moving away from Claude here pretty soon to try to go get him a Stanley Cup. Um, he, I, for the career that he's given to Philadelphia, especially now losing Sean Couturier, uh, he just had successful back surgery early this morning. He will be out the remainder of the year. Kevin Hayes still hasn't been back in the lineup since his core surgery after he came back. Like they're missing some huge pieces this year, and especially with the COVID year, they were really fucked with how many guys like were in and out. So um, I know Claude sat down with his agent and the team, and they're going to be exploring the best options for him going forward um, as Claude does have a full no-move clause, so he fully has to agree to where he's going and that type of stuff. But, yeah, I could, all, I could see that going. Another couple guys keeping Flyers talk, JVR, uh, James Van Riemsdyk, Rasmus Linen, Martin Jones, backup, and Justin Braun. All those guys are pending free agents at the end of the year. Um, why not move them and get some picks? Yeah. Like, let's rebuild this fucking thing instead of waiting and doing this one year at a time. We might as well try to overhaul it. Mm-hmm. We do a Corey Young group. Um, but, yeah, 
And then speaking Giroux, the last thing I wanted to mention about him, the three teams that have made news about potentially Toronto, the Wild, and the Boston Bruins. And I feel like Boston makes the most sense for me if he goes there. I'd fucking hate seeing him in a Bruins jersey, but hey, if he can help that team win, let's go. Um, Colorado too. Carolina, like I hope a cup, a cup contending team takes him. I really do, because he's really good. He's yeah. always been top of the league in faceoffs, fucking every year. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he's dedicated his life to the Flyers, to that team. And it's, there comes a point in time where, I mean, sitting at the bottom of the Metro right now, you can only go up. So that, that, as you mentioned, kind of cleaning house, building from your core young guys and just starting over fresh, starting, starting something different when you're at the bottom of your division in any sport, that's the best time to make those kind of changes because you can only you can only get better. <laughs> you you can't go bottom. You can't go worse than the bottom. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to see, like you said, Giroux, see him go somewhere else, get himself a cup. Uh, definitely well deserving of it at this point in his career. This is just like with the trade deadline coming up here. Mm-hmm. You are in last place. You are only two points ahead of dropping into third place and getting having a really good lottery chance pick to get the number one pick. Like start making moves, boys. Like I've already accepted the season. I think that after they lost their second 10 game streak in a row or whatever, I was like, the season's over. <clears throat> and I assume other Flyers fans mm-hmm. have accepted that fact at this point, especially you can't you can't not accept the fact that they're not just not making it this year with how good the Eastern Conference is in general. So let's just accept the fact. Let's move on. Let's rebuild. Let's fucking start this thing over and let's get going again. Mm-hmm. Like, don't wait too long, or otherwise you'll turn into a Montreal. Mm-hmm. Get your you get handcuffed with what, the situation that you have, and yeah, I don't want to see that happen to my my favorite team. That that and if you wait too long, the guys that are on the table that you want go elsewhere before you, you, you get them. And then you're stuck. Fuck. We should have made a move sooner to where, like you said, kind of that hand, like that handcuff feel to where if you don't make a a staff change, a player change something and another team makes, makes a change to better their team before you do. And it lines up with who you wanted to go after then you're back to square one. Okay, now who's on the table? Now who should we go after? Um, and not even that. The players that you bring in, too, to, like, win. Mm-hmm. You handcuff them as well, not trying to move and trying to improve your team, only taking the small steps. They're just like, you're fucking wasting my career. Yeah. That is the end of today's Offside episode. Be sure to tune back on Monday where we recap the Super Bowl for you and talk about all other things NHL that happened over the weekend. <laughs>